Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by Georgetown head coach Patrick Ewing, Iowa head coach Bram McCaffrey, and a little treat at the end of the podcast, an NBA player who's got a real remarkable connection, albeit brief, to the late, great Senator John McCain. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, the Hall of Famer, Georgetown head coach Patrick Ewing, and uh, entering year two, and uh, I'm really high on the Hoyas. I think this is going to be a team that you know could be a dark horse in the Big East, uh, certainly have one of the better players in the league, if not in the country, at his particular position. Uh, Patrick, as you head into year two, what is your level of optimism? Well, you know, Andy, I take it a day at a time. Um, you know, the way you know, a lot of people believe in those preseason uh, rankings and all that stuff. I don't really put in too much weight in it. I just wait for the real season to start and wait to, to see how my team gels and see how you know best we're gonna we be able to use. I'll be able to utilize everybody, especially the new guys that we have in. What'd you learn about these guys last season as they were getting used to you, you to them? Uh, as you had some moments last year, but obviously inconsistency, which was not which was expected based on the roster uh, that you guys had. What did you learn about this group? Uh, you know, last year was uh, to me. Last year was just laying the foundation. You know, learning my team, them learning me. You know, wh- who, you know which button to push, when to push it, and all that stuff. Trying to get them to do the things that I, I believe that we need to do to be successful. So, um, you know, for the most part, I think it was uh, a pretty good year. You know, we 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 let some games uh, slip away, but you know, I thought that the guys played extremely hard for me. They they went out and tried to do the best job they could. Um, we just didn't have enough. And so, what do you feel like you've added? And especially, we can talk about Jesse here, Jesse Govan, that you know that has filled in those pieces to where it might be more of a complete team heading into this season. Well, uh, you know, Jesse, we're, we're expecting him to have a a, a, a good year this year. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a senior, he's the elder statesman. We expect him to come out and, you know, the, the way that he started in, 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 at the beginning of the year, start and finish great. You know, we added some, some good, uh, freshmen, you know, we, 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 you know, I, I think that everyone has to, to take a jump for us to be successful. You know, when I'm talking about the, the guys who are, who are returning, Pickett, Blair, uh, all of those guys, they all need to take a take a, a significant jump. And then when the freshmen that we added, they have to grow up quickly. You know, we, they can't, you know, play like freshmen. They have to come in and they have to uh, establish themselves very quickly. In, in terms of the bigs, led by Jesse, I mean, you've got, you know, the NC State transfers, uh, Omar Yurt seven, uh, who came aboard. You know, he's a seven-footer. Um, how have you coached them in this new era of the way bigs think where they love to be, you know, facing the basket and then necessarily with their back to the basket, the way you played in the eighties. 
Well, you know, I think is you know, I, I was able to do both when I played. I faced the basket and uh, back and played back to the basket. So I, I don't see me myself, you know, doing anything differently. And plus, you know, being that I came from the NBA, which and that's where most of it started, you know, I feel that I'm qualified uh, to teach them. Oh, I don't doubt that for a second. I meant these guys. How do you get them to buy in to play both sides in terms of you know getting their butt inside? I just, you know, Jesse, who primarily thinks, sees himself as a as a three point shooter, you know, he's he was one of the the, the toughest ones last year, and I, I think that he's bought in. He realized that he has to be able to do both if he wants to be successful and if he wants to at least try to get to the next level. Uh, Omer, Omer, he, he, you know, he does both anyway. He both, he can, he, you know, he posts, he's down there banging, and he also can shoot, uh, shoot the three. You know, we have Trey Morning, who's going who I expect to play a significant role this year, who was hurt last year. Uh, you know, is a, is a very good uh, three-point shooter. Also, he can, you know, can also post up. So we we try to teach them, you know, both, you know, the back to the basket and face the basket, and then you know make them try to teach them and uh, that it all depends on who you're playing against. You know, which move you want to use. When you saw the breakup of the Big East and uh, you know sort of everything that was happening in college basketball, especially in that in that conference, and then sort of the reconstituted Big East, which has been a phenomenal league, ten-team league where one to ten, it's been you know extremely even. Even though Villanova obviously has been dominant at the top, w- what were your impressions maybe before you got into it, and now that you've coached the season in it? Well, you know, I was I was sad when I saw the original Big East team, uh, the league broke break up, but I thought that they, uh, the the presidents and the ads did an outstanding job of putting a, a quality uh, league back together. You know, even before I came, uh, the, the league was was doing well. They had, you know, I think the year before I came, they had what seven teams that that year we had five or six. So. You know, even though it's not the same thing, the same teams, we don't have Syracuse, we don't have Connecticut and those guys. We still have, you know, we we still have a quality league, um, and there's there's parity. You know, uh, any team can, any given team can beat the other next team uh, on any given night. Well, and the other thing that I'm a I'm a firm believer in is, is is I think for the longevity and the health of the league, and really for college basketball, I think Georgetown and St. John's need to be competing, you know, near the top. How much do you firmly believe that as well? Well, you know, I, I can't worry about what Chris is doing with his program. <laughs> All I can worry about is what I'm doing with my program. And, you know, it's my goal to – I'm sure he feels the same way that, you know, we want to be successful at, at this at, at this job. And the only way you're going to be successful is to get players and, and to win. And it's my goal to, to, to win. In terms of your building pieces, um, you know, the facilities have been upgraded. The interest is certainly, I mean, there was a little apathy at times, but the interest is back, I think, with a vengeance. You've got, you know, key pieces. Uh, where are you in sort of the overall, you know, growth of this program? Where are you right now in terms of building that? Well, you know, like I said, when we first started, last year was just laying, was laying the foundation. And now I'm starting to put the building up. You know, um, you know, we're adding, we add uh, four or five freshmen for, for this season. Next year, we'll, we'll add a, a few more, you know, hopes that, you know, we can get some key quality uh, guys to, to fight the future. 
you know, and then the guys that we have returning uh, each year, they have to, you know, make jumps uh, every year. They can't just stay there. They have to, you know, in the offseason work hard and, you know, rent a weight train and uh, do all the things that they that they need to do to improve every year. Patrick, what's the thing that you think that you've taken the most from your time as an NBA assistant that now you've applied as a head coach in college? You know, it's not it's not one thing. You know, I, I I was fortunate enough to work for some of the great coaches in the NBA, and I borrow bits and pieces from each of them. You know, Jeff and Stan. You know about being prepared. Doug Collins. You know his his leadership. Pat Riley. You know all the things that we learned from him when I played for him. Steve Clifford, who was a guy that you know, he, even though he and I have been assistants for a lot of years, uh, still borrows from him. Tom Thibodeau. You know, I borrowed from all of them, you know, Coach Thompson, Mike Jobs. So every coach that I played for or coached with, you know, I, I borrow bits and pieces of all of them and then put it together with, with what my beliefs are and, you know, make a gumbo. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Well, uh, well, in the gumbo, I think certainly, you know, it, it, whatever you're doing, it, it's working. There's it has no a question. lot of spices. Yeah, yeah, there's no question it about it. It has a lot of spices. <laughs> <laughs> but, but when you look back at your, your Georgetown time, not your, your NBA career, your Georgetown time, what's your fondest memories? I mean, what, what sticks out to you? My, my entire four years here uh, was great. You know, I've, I've said it time and time again, you know, this was one of the, the best four years of my, my life. You know, I came here a boy and I left a man. I was given an opportunity to grow. I played in three Final Fours. I should have won all three, but, you know, I turned over there. Uh, another school going a remarkable uh, shooting spree. Um, you know, I was only able to come away with one. But, you know, we, when I was in school, we were the, we were the, the, the targeted. Everybody wanted to beat us. And, you know, those are those are good times. And how much do you think that that at least that piece, you know, could be rekindled where at least let's just say within the Big East instead of Villanova that, uh, you know, everyone wants to beat Georgetown, that you guys can you can get the program to the point where that's that's significant. If you can knock off Georgetown, that's a big deal. Well, that's that's my goal. That is my goal. And, you know. We're out there beating the bushes uh, on the phone, uh, trying to get players, get talent, because I don't care how great a coach you think you are if you don't have the talent to go go out there and execute whatever offense or defense you have, you will not win. And last two things uh, before I let you go, Patrick. Uh, Big John, Big John Thompson. Um, Obviously, when JT3 was a head coach, you know, he was there a ton, huge presence. Uh, At this juncture... You know, how often are you leaning on him for any kind of advice uh, within Georgetown? Uh, Coach Thompson has been someone that I've always asked for advice from when I was here, from when then when I went to the NBA, and now that I'm back. Um, if there's anything I want to discuss or anything I, I feel that I need some some uh, fatherly or godfatherly advice on, I, I definitely pick up the phone and call. And, and lastly, Patrick, um, you know, I mentioned Villanova multiple times. Uh, even though Xavier technically was the top seed, uh, you know, it's still Villanova's league. Uh, they're the team that's been the team to beat. What is it going to take, particularly this season, for another team, possibly Georgetown, to knock them off that perch? Well, you know, Villanova, like you said, they, they've been uh, at the top 
uh, you know, for for a few, a lot of years now. So, you know, we to, for anybody to knock him off, they have to, you know, go and play play that play a great have a great season. You know, he's done a great job over there of, of getting not a, you know getting you know great talent, not guys not one and done, but guys who 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 have been around for a lot of years and play uh, a cohesive as, a, as a, like a cohesive team. So, uh, you know, you have to take your hat off to him. Um, and, you know, we, us at Georgetown, we, you know, we have to do the same. We have to go out there and we have to play uh, great uh, games and great seasons and, you know, let the chips fall where it may. I, I'm, you know, all, all I can do is take my hat off to Villanova and their program and you just try to get my guys to come out and perform at a, at a high level every night we, we step on the floor. And Patrick, I just want to say this to you because I've said it publicly. What I love and admire and respect about you is that you, you've never, ever taken the shortcut. You've always worked as hard, if not more, than anyone. And when you decided to become a coach, you were going to be the apprentice and learn the trade and not just expect, okay, I'm one of the greatest players of all time. I'm just going to walk out and start coaching. Uh, and you've done it the right way. And it showed, and it showed that you're prepared and ready to take on, obviously, a program that's got tremendous history and that uh, I fully expect will be competing at the at the national level uh, sooner than later. So my, my hat, I tip my hat to you because you've done everything the right way and worked as hard as anyone to get where you are. I appreciate that. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, thank you. From one fellow Massachusetts guys, you know, enjoy the rest of the day. And next up here on March Madness 365, Iowa head coach Fran McCaffrey. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Iowa head coach Fran McCaffrey. And Fran, in looking at your roster, if I've got this right, top nine scores returning. Is that right? Eight or nine? So... You know, normally that's great news, and I would think it would be in this case. You guys, you know, had your moments last season. You were a little bit on the cusp. A couple of things go your way. might have turned out a little bit differently. What's the level of optimism with this group right now with so many returning players led by Tyler Cook? Andy, I think we're very optimistic. It was a very strange season last year. When you look at the returning scores that we have, we have four double-figure scores returning. We have low-post scoring. We have veteran leadership, I mean, everything that you want. You look at our offensive numbers last year. We shot 48% from the field. We shot 38% from three. We shot 70% from the line. These are all as a team. We were plus five on the glass. We had 602 assists, 440 turnovers. Good assist turnover ratio. So why did we lose 19 games? Clearly, the emphasis for us has to be defensively. So I think when you, when you talk about optimism, yeah, I think we feel good about who we have, but we're also cognizant of the fact that we have to make changes. You can't just say, well, because we have four double-figure scorers back and our top nine scorers back, therefore we're going to be good. We already put up offensive numbers that typically equate to 20 or more wins. And if you look at teams in the country that put up those offensive numbers against the schedule that we played, you would figure – we won 20 games. So we broke down at the defensive end. Transition defense, ball screen defense, dribble penetration, point of attack. And we have to make a collective effort to be equally effective at the defensive end as we were at the offensive end. So in the summer workouts, 
off season in the spring and now here before, you know, official practice begins. How do you, you know, translate what you just said into action, um, especially when you don't have them as a collective group? So you're working maybe a little bit more individually, uh, but you need them to shore up defensively. Well, it's interesting because we took a completely different approach. Uh, you and I have known each other a long time. I've always been an offensive-oriented guy. We play fast. We shoot quick. We shoot threes. We run motion. And my emphasis when we work out, whether it's skill development individually or collectively as a team, we spend more time on offense, our fast break, our motion, our set plays. This summer, the first thing that had to happen, it was complete buy-in by the players. You show them the numbers. You, you look at the, our, our, our record last year. And they have to, to a man, agree that we're now going to change the focus defensively. The other thing we did, Andy, is we really got after it in the weight room. I didn't think we were physical enough. I didn't think we were as tough as we needed to be. So we we sort of got after it, and we killed it in the weight room, back onto the court, and we broke everything down and then put it back together. So it's one-on-one defense, two-on-two defense, three-on-three, four-on-four, and then five-on-five. It's motion, it's ball screens, it's continuity ball screens, how we're playing ball screens, how we're stopping the ball in transition. And the emphasis in terms of percentage of time spent in practice or workouts was way more on defense, and it had to be. And they had to buy into it, and they did. Now, it doesn't mean that every day was perfect, but – I think there was more communication, there was more leadership, there was more intensity, there was more physicality. All of those factors have to come into play for us to take the kind of step that we think we can take. And clearly we're capable of doing it with the players we have returning. I mean, it's just a natural that if you're going to focus more on strength and defense, it's going to be a harder workout than if you're just going to get shots up, you know, work on your ball fakes and all those kinds of things. How did you see that transition when you were working these guys out in your staff that they had to actually work harder, sweat more, because just by nature of, of those aspects of the game, it's going to take more effort to do that. So true. It, it, it's not as much fun, but I think that's the critical thing. We always sort of relied on our ability to go get buckets. Well, we proved last year that we went and got buckets and still lost 19 games. So the first thing I said was, you know, at the first meeting, as you break it down the way that I did, it's complete buy-in. So they're expecting it. And then the difficulty is, can they consistently compete for the entire time like that? You're right. It's harder. It's not as much fun. It's more intense. It's more physical. But at the end, you have to take pride in it. You have to say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make change. Change had to happen in our approach and, and, and that's across the board. You know, it's not just, hey, you guys have to change. We had so many meetings as a staff. Okay, let's break everything down. Where do we have to change? Because it's our job to get the players to buy in and to get better. Whether it's more drill work, more intense practices, more intense workouts in the weight room, more one-on-one meetings with individual players, more meetings with players, more film review more skull sessions on the, on the, on the board. Uh, don't assume anything. You know, make sure we explain it. Make sure you explain it pro- properly. Make sure you encourage the players to ask questions. 
to make sure that they fully understand. And then at the end, they have to communicate with each other. They have to be connected. I, I, I used that word a lot last year. That it just didn't seem like we were connected defensively at times. We were on offense. Okay, if we could be connected on offense, we can be connected on defense. We have a team that gets along, that loves and respects each other. We need to be connected defensively because, as you know, it, 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 it's five and one. If there's a rotation and one guy makes a rotation and the other guy's late, it's a dunk. So if one guy rotates, the other guy's got to rotate and cover, and then you've got to communicate, whether it be mine, yours, or screen left, screen right. We have to be in conjunction with each other. And I think we made great strides in that area. So obviously, whether it's Jordan Bohannon, Luca Garza, Isaiah Moss, those guys all, you know, clearly I think know their role, know their, where they fit in. Tyler Cook, you know, he's the bigger name. What are the chances that he could be, you know, a Big Ten Player of the Year candidate, a National Player of the Year candidate, could take that next step up uh, to elevate him, which ultimately would elevate you guys as well? Well, there's no question about that, Andy. You know, I, and I expect Tyler to make that jump. But I think, more importantly, he expects himself to make it. We live in a different world, as you know, and he really did a terrific job exploring the NBA opportunities that may or may not have been there for him. He had a chance. I think he felt like if he had left his name in, he had a good chance to get drafted in the second round. I think that's true. Uh, you know, you're trying to figure out, is, is there a guaranteed roster spot? Is there guaranteed money? All of those things. You're, you're doing interviews. You're doing workouts. You're talking to your family. And we were with him every step of the way. We encouraged him. That, you know, this, that we had this conversation with this NBA team, and this is your next workout. And, you know, give him advice, help, whatever. Talk him through it before and after each workout. I was just really impressed with him, Andy, and his approach. Because when he decided to come back, and you well know, you have to come back with the right attitude. If in your mind you've checked out, and you come back reluctantly, it's not going to work. You've got to say, okay, I studied it. This is the best move for me. I'm going to come back, and I am going to make an impact on this team, in this league, on a national basis. And I'm going to do it in a variety of ways. First thing he said to me is, I, I want to be a better leader. I need to be a better leader. Now, he was only a sophomore last year. In his freshman year, Peter Jock led the Big Ten in scoring. He was the leader. It was his team. Last year... We had a bunch of sophomores, and the leadership was probably a little bit lacking. But now you have Tyler Cook, Jordan Bohannon as juniors, both top players in our league, two of the top players in our league, and then Nicholas Bear, who's a fifth-year senior. So we have some leadership. But Tyler Cook was our leading scorer and our leading rebounder. And, and he's the guy that when he says something in a huddle or in the locker room or in the weight room, his teammates are going to listen. And he's got a great way about him. He's been way more vocal. Uh, you have the ability to be vocal when you work hard. He's an incredibly hard worker. He's in the gym. He's in the weight room all the time. He lives his life to be great. You know, he's very focused in that area. So it stands to reason that he's going to get better. He's playing at a completely different confidence level. You know, when he got here, when he recruited him on the basis, we're going to give him more flexibility to do more things. He was always the big, strong guy that scored and rebounded inside. You know, was a phenomenal dunker. You know, we we talked to him about 
take it off the glass, push it yourself. Take it all the way. Take it coast to coast. Get it out, out on the perimeter and drive and kick and find your teammates. He is much better at that. He's very comfortable at that, and he enjoys doing that, making plays for his teammates, making plays for himself and leading this team. So I think, you know, you're talking about a guy who averaged 15 and 7 as a sophomore. I expect those numbers to go up. They go up. I think you're you're right in your assessment that he would be a player of the year candidate. And you mentioned your son, Connor. Uh, you're going to get a chance to coach him because he was uh, not a, not able to play last season. What that, what's that going to be like for you? I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. You know, you think about way back when he started playing, and you know, we've been together. He's, he's been coming to practice since he was in kindergarten, you know, when I was at UNC Greensboro. Now to have him suit up, you know, it, 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 it's incredibly exciting. But at the same time, you know, somewhat stressful in the sense that you, know, you want him to do well. He want, You know how badly he wants to do well. The good thing about him is he's a player who fits. You know, he's, he's a smart, intelligent player who moves the ball, passes the ball, recognizes, you know, when Tyler Cook and Luca Garza, we've got two of the better low-post scorers in college basketball. Those guys can score the ball. They can also score the ball away from the basket. But, you know, we have... Five post guys who can score. Well, there's times when we've got to throw it in. We also have Bohannon, Moss, Joe Wieskamp, Macy Daly, C.J. Frederick, Nicholas Bear, Jack Nudge. We've got plenty of three-point shooters. So for him, his job is to defend his position, get us into our stuff, be a leader on the floor if he's the point guard. He has incredible knowledge you know, he was a winner in high school, and I'm excited about him being out on the floor as a guy who understands everything that needs to be done. Time and score, uh, home road, up, down, whatever the situation is. And, okay, we got to get the ball to Cook in this possession. You know, Gars is cooking. Let's load him up. Well, Hannon just hit two in a row. Let's, let's go back to him. You know, those kinds of things. But at the same time, at 6'6", he can score. So... He's not just a pass guy, uh, a move-the-ball guy. He understands that component, but he can also go get points himself. And so what we now have is depth. I mentioned Wieskamp. I mentioned Frederick. Obviously, Macy Daly, who had a terrific season for us last year. We have depth in the backcourt. We didn't have that last year. I mean, I rode those guys. Uh, I basically rode three guards the whole season. You know, it was Ellingson was our fourth, and he was hurt most of the year. So now we have depth. We have depth on the on the wing. We have more three point shooting, and uh, I think we have a, a team full of pieces that work well together. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, because he's been playing a lot, that uh, all is well with Patrick after his. I mean, it's been already now almost what four years since his uh, thyroid cancer diagnosis. Four years. It's it's amazing, Andy. Yes, we're 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 very fortunate. Obviously, he has a multiple doctor's appointments. Uh, you know, he takes medicine every day, but the cancer hasn't come back, and that's obviously the most important thing. He had a very busy summer. Tried out for the USA team, didn't make it, but was very thankful to have the opportunity. He was in San Antonio where he had an opportunity to hear you speak. And, you know, as part of USA basketball, that was, that was a lot of fun for him. He's on the USA 18-under three-on-three team, which we'll go to. Argentina in October. He won 
his team won the national championship, so they're representing the United States. So very proud of that. Had a great summer in AAU and getting ready for a senior year and try to win a state championship. Well, that's obviously the best news of all. But uh, one last thing before I let you go, uh, the schedule, uh, because you and I have talked many times about the non-conference and getting not just that head start into the Big Ten, but also that's a lot of times where the season gets defined. And I'm looking at sort of this cluster of uh, 10 days to two weeks uh, that I think will end up being critical. I mean, because you're going to go to New York and you're going to have Oregon and then either Syracuse or UConn. And then it's what is now going to be the new normal in the Big Ten, especially now with 20 games. Uh, You're going to play Wisconsin, a healthy Wisconsin, one would assume at home, and then at Michigan State for your two early Big Ten games. I mean, that's four games in a two-week span that, I mean, it's not going to make or break you, but really could propel you, you know, if you go three and one or at least two and two or something. You're absolutely right, Andy. And I think the first game after Michigan State, I don't have it in front of me, but I think is Iowa State. Yes, it is. That's right. So, incredibly difficult stretch. You know, for many years, you know, when you were a BCS school, you tried to ease into everything, you know, kind of an easier schedule in, in November, December. Uh, maybe a tough game or two and try to load up your record and then get ready for put your helmet on and, and go ready for that Big Ten schedule. But everything's changed. I don't know, the landscape, how teams are picked for the NCAA tournament. Talk about it a lot at the, at the Big Ten meetings. You look at the analytics, and you got to play people. So you pretty much have to be in an MTE. We're going to play 20 league games. You know, I think it's important to be in an MTE where there's really good teams. We're thrilled to go to the Garden and play the teams you mentioned. We also have the ACC Challenge game, which is every year. The Big East Challenge, the Gavit Games, is two years on, two years off, typically. So this is an off year. We'll do that next year. And then you just got to play your, you know, your Iowa States. We're playing Northern Iowa over Des Moines. That'll be a tough game. They're always really good. Ben Jacobs does a terrific job. And I think you just have to have your team ready to go on day one. You know, there, there are very few games left when you do the math that would, you know, people think are easy games. And as you well know, you've been doing this long enough. A lot of times they're not easy games. Right. But, you know, you pretty much now your entire schedule is incredibly difficult. And the only negative there, Andy, is, you know, let's say you have some young guys that you're trying to bring along. And if, if every game is, is like you just mentioned, a lot of times they don't get, they don't get a chance to settle down. You know, you, you want them to, I mean, I remember last year, Luca Gar is a terrific player. He had a great freshman year, average like, you know, 13 and 7, 13 and 8. Pretty good numbers for a freshman. Start of the year, wasn't shooting the ball well. We played a game at home. He goes for 27 and 14. Big smile. He's five threes in a row. Now he's on his way because his numbers actually in Big Ten play were higher than they were for the season. So that tells you he started a little bit slow, even though he had the biggest bucket in the UAB game. So, you know, I always look at, yeah, I get it. You got to play tougher teams. You got to look at the RPI of the teams you're playing. You got to play the top teams in a conference, not the bottom teams in a conference. But at some point, you need to play somebody where your young guys can develop because the analytics don't factor that in the confidence level and the development of your young players or your ability to rest a guy for the next game because maybe he tweaked his ankle and you know you you, you don't want to play a monster every game 
But the reality is, Andy, and you and I know it, they're going to reward you for the tougher schedule that you play. The more times you go on the road, the more times you play neutral sites. So that'll probably continue. And I think, it, you know, as it looks now, our, our schedule next year beyond this one will be even tougher. Well, Fran, appreciate you taking some time here. Uh, and it's all going to get going uh, very, very quickly. So uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Always great talking with you, Andy. Now, coming up here on March Madness 365, I just wanted to give you a little bit of an anecdotal story on the late, great Senator John McCain. Uh, Lowry Markkinen, who plays for the Chicago Bulls, was a student at the University of Arizona, but in large part because of the help he got from John McCain. So you're going to hear him tell his story about the influence that McCain had in making sure that Markkinen could be in this country and play for the University of Arizona. I had the privilege of doing one of the NCAA tournament brackets uh, with a good friend of mine from ABC News, Rick Klein. Uh, We were on Capitol Hill. This is uh, 2017. We did a bracket with uh, John McCain, big Arizona fan at the time and always has been. Uh, Also interviewed him a couple other times on sports-related topics, whether it was whether or not the World Cup should be in Russia in 2018. He was big on a number of different sports topics throughout the course of his career in the Senate, and really was an honor to interview him, whether it was on a podcast or in person when we were just having some fun filling out the bracket. And if you watched his memorial service in Arizona last week, you saw the connection he had with sports where Arizona Cardinals wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald was one of the speakers who was giving a eulogy at that memorial service and discussed how much Uh, Senator McCain really touched his life. So here's a little bit of another anecdote on the late, great John McCain from someone that you would probably never expect he would have connected with. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Lowry Markkinen, formerly of the University of Arizona, now currently a member of the Chicago Bulls. And Lowry, really appreciate you taking some time with us here on the podcast. And as we're looking back at the unbelievable life of the late, great Senator John McCain, obviously on the political side, uh, there's been plenty of things that have been said, uh, what he did for this country, you know, everything that he did in terms of his service, that's all been said. What has not been said behind the scenes is some of the little things he did even in the sports world. And You know, you've got a unique situation where you came from Finland. You were trying to get eligible at the University of Arizona, uh, but it wasn't an easy process and that you needed some help from the government. Uh, And so I was just curious. And I remember at the time when this was happening that uh, that you needed some help from your senator, which happened to be uh, Senator McCain. So if you could just take me through the process as you were trying to get the visa from Finland to come to play at the University of Arizona, what kind of role did Senator McCain play? Yeah, actually, I was supposed to be there a little earlier, and then my visa got delayed. I did everything in Finland, but I don't know what took so long. I did that for the first time. I don't know what was it, but then uh, my assistant coach helped me with, I think he reached out to him, and then... I don't even know what happened behind the scenes. It's just then I got my visa a little bit quicker, so I got it today. I did thank him when I met him once I got to the university. So what did you tell him? I mean, I just told him that it was pleasant to meet him and uh, just thanked him everything he did for me. And because that that was a dream of mine to play college basketball, and I don't know if 
I think I would have gotten my visa later, but it was definitely needed to get it on on time. You know, you're here, you're coming from Finland. You may not be well-versed in, obviously, uh, you know, every politician in the United States outside of the president. When you got to know or at least hear about Senator McCain when you get to Arizona, what did you hear about this this man, this senator, uh, and, and especially after you found out that he had actually helped you get to the University of Arizona and be able to play? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I didn't, I didn't even know who he was before I... I didn't know he helped me. I just somehow got my visa quicker, and I just met him right away because the coaches wanted me to meet him. And uh, then obviously I did some background. I didn't know much, but read something online. They got captured and, like, all that. So he was behind Obama and uh, just simple stuff. I didn't know too much about it and so obviously you know you know his horrific diagnosis a year ago and then um you know his passing this past week uh you felt you know i i could tell through social media you felt that it was important to thank him even posthumously you know just sort of let the world know how much he helped you why did you feel that was important to get that word out that this great man had helped you, you know, in such a small way in the, you know, countless things that he did, you know, in this country, in the Senate. Uh, but you wanted to make sure that people knew he helped you specifically. I mean, yeah, he's one of the reasons I'm here, obviously, just because I got to play college basketball and I got drafted. And I just wanted to let him know that, that, I mean, obviously he doesn't see that, but I want the world to know that he helped me and he was a, he did a lot in sport too, I could say. So it didn't take a long time. I just felt like I got to, I mean, I have a voice too. So, I mean, I, I want to show him out for that. Well, Lowry, appreciate you just taking a few minutes here and sharing that story uh, because I think a lot of people fail to understand sometimes when a player comes to the United States, it's not just hopping on a plane and suddenly you're here. You know, you obviously have to get a student visa. There's a lot of hoops to go through. You know, in a big picture way. Yeah, yeah, it was. A, yeah, it definitely was a long process. It took me like more than half a year to figure all the paperwork, the NCAA, and so everything, every bit of help I could get, I needed it. So that was a big time for me. Yeah, I mean that—that's the thing. I mean, I don't think people fully grasp that it's not so easy. You know, I mean, as I'm saying, you don't just hop on a plane and suddenly you're playing at the University of Arizona. That there is a process, and sometimes it can take months, year or more uh, to make sure that everything is, is lined up. And so uh, even the little things like this, when you can get, you know, help, uh, obviously the high, higher levels of government, it certainly can help the process along. Well, Lowry, appreciate it. Uh, continue great success uh, with Chicago and your NBA career. And we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. Uh, hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Listening to Patrick Ewing. Graham McCaffrey, Lowry Marketing. Season getting closer and closer. We'll have a little bit more as the, in terms of breaking down teams and getting in a little bit more preview mode as we get closer and closer to the season. College football has started, but college basketball right around the corner. As always, you can find this podcast wherever you find Turner Podcasts and on all our NCAA.com and March Madness social media platforms. Thanks for listening.